Hey, I'm Jess O'Callaghan, and this is the Audiocraft Podcast. You're about to hear four people do one of the scariest things you can do. Pitch their podcast projects in front of a packed theatre and get on-the-spot feedback from a panel of podcast commissioners. Natalie Tullock is the US content lead for Culture & Talk at Spotify, overseeing its creative development of original audio content. She also leads the charge for Spotify's SoundUp podcast program. Claudia Taranto has been leading audio storytelling teams, mentoring producers and writers, and creating radio documentaries at the ABC for more than 30 years. She was the executive producer of RN's Earshot, Pocket Docs, 360 Documentaries, and Street Stories. Her work has received local and international awards, including a Walkley. Jennifer Goggin is the content director of Podcast One Australia. Jen has produced live radio, outside broadcasts, history series and radio documentaries which have been broadcast on the BBC, ABC and Ireland's national broadcaster, RTE. This live pitch session is moderated by Audiocraft's Kate Montague, who will introduce you to our brave podcast pitches. This was one of the most popular sessions at the festival and by listening to the panel's feedback, you'll learn what it takes to deliver a clear pitch that will cut through the noise and get noticed. All right, everybody, welcome to Pitch Perfect. Uh, this is very exciting. We've, wanted, we've actually wanted to do this session for quite a long time, but we haven't really um, done it yet. So we're excited to do this for the first time this year. Basically, how this is going to run is four Audiocraft attendees are going to pitch their ideas live to this incredible panel of judges. And, the, and I think the value of this is not about getting commissioned, but it's about getting feedback and live feedback and the experience of kind of the questions that are asked and the feedback that you might get on an on-the-spot pitch. So these four contestants, I'm going to call you contestants, <laughs> are very brave. So I think it's very important for us to be very warm and welcoming and encourage them through this experience because I think it'll make it fun for everybody. So I think it's fair to say our judges probably have received a few pitches and they've probably got a lot of wisdom to share with us today. So I think maybe before we do start, it would be nice to hear from all of you about what it is you're looking for in a pitch. And maybe, Natalie, we could start with you. Like when you're getting pitches at Spotify, what are the key things you're looking for? Um, yeah, we get so much and a lot of it, we always try to start with the great ideas. Content is king or I should say content is queen. We like great content ideas. Um, but we also like people who are pitching to our platform. We have a very young, highly engaged platform. So we like folks who are really thinking about the platform, thinking about what Spotify represents and thinking about our brand filter. Um, so ideas that resonate to the things that have been working for us, um, a really great talent that's engaging, great content ideas. Um, kind of a, there's an irreverence to Spotify's brand that's playful um, and bold. So we, we like ideas that kind of center around that, around our very highly engaged millennial audience. Great. That's good to know. Jen, what are you, what are you looking for at Podcast One? Um. Well, to understand what we're looking for, our podcast one, you first have to understand what we do. We do original Australian podcasts, but it's a collaborative environment. So what we do is when our podcasters pitch to us and we say, yeah, let's let's work with you. It's very collaborative. We give them a podcast producer. We give them an audio imager. 
we give them a marketing team, PR and everything. But for that relationship to work, the podcast one team are really, really passionate about what they do. We need a podcast host that is equally passionate. The podcast industry is quite young still. It runs on a lot of passion. If you don't have the passion to stay the course in the two years it might take you to grow your podcast, then, you know, that's a very difficult sell. If someone comes into you and thinks that, um, you know, they don't feel like they're committed or passionate with this idea, they don't feel like they need to make it, then I'm not sure that you will stay the course for two years and that will be a consideration on whether or not podcast one works with you. And Claudia, what about the ABC? What kind of things are you looking for in a pitch? Well, we're always looking for fresh ideas, ideas that haven't appeared in anywhere else in the media. We're also looking for stories where the, per- the people, the talent in the story, by and large, because the programs that I'm involved with sit on Radio National, but because they're built programs as opposed to live programs, we're looking for people who wouldn't go onto a live program. So for various reasons, it's going to take them a long time to tell their story, they're inaccessible in some way or um, various other reasons. And so you can't say, oh, well, that's just a Life Matters story. This has to be something that's, you know, different to that. And uh, we're also looking for, um, generally speaking, non-experts, ordinary people telling their stories. That We also want to know that you're capable of pulling off the program. So you've got to be able to prove to us in the pitch by giving us examples of your other work uh, that you are capable of doing it. And I'd echo also the idea that you've got to have the passion. You've got to be able to show us that you've done enough research into the idea to show us that um, you've got the commitment and the passion. And the, the idea, the programs I work on are 30 minutes. We're also looking for ideas that will sustain for 30 minutes. Okay, good. So no pressure. It's going to be fine. You guys have got this. Um, all right. I think we should get on to our first pitch and I'm just going to explain quickly how this is going to work. So I am going to invite one of these lovely people up onto stage and then they are going to introduce a 90-second clip of audio and then they have two minutes to deliver a verbal pitch. And then based off that, we're going to have some feedback and questions from the judges. Each of these people have 10 minutes each, so it's tight. So I have a bell, this lovely antique bell down there, and I might ring it if you start going over two minutes, but I'm sure you've all prepared and it will be fine. <laughs> so to start <laughs> so to start with, I'd like to introduce um, our first participant, Nina Copel. Yay! Welcome, Nina. <laughs> So Nina Nina fell in love with radio and podcasting in the studios of 2SER where she's been involved in many podcasts including Just Words, History Lab and Think Series and All Things Equal. She also spent a very formative time in 2017 in Argentina where she took in the rapid rhythms of Buenos Aires and learnt some new tricks of the trade with award-winning sound artist Diego Canizaro. So Nina, would you like to introduce your audio? Hi, everyone. Um, You're about to hear 90 seconds of a story that will form part of a series called Legal Fictions. It's just one of the stories that will be part of this series. Um, And there is a language warning in the content, but I feel the need to give another one, especially because there are some young people in the audience who I've been informed can handle this. So we're cool. (laughs) A language warning. We're going to swear a fucking ton in this episode. 
It's about 1.15 on the 10th of February 1990 in a New South Wales regional town and a crime is about to be committed. In the front lawn of an unfenced yard, a man is in the middle of a fight. Two police officers arrive at the scene where they see what they would later describe as a wrestle-type affair. But that's not the crime. The fight stops. One man gets up. He walks towards the police officers and says, Why don't you fuck off, you dog-ass cunts? Words are a human creation. We invented them and we invent with them. So what is it with some words? The words that slip out when you stub a toe. Shit. Or when you're having some beers at the pub with mates. My friend here is a massive cunt. Or when someone pulls into your lane without indicating. Asshole. What is it about those words? Why are they so fucking offensive that they're illegal? This is Legal Fictions. I'm Nina Copel. So people are constantly surprised when I tell them that swearing in public is a criminal offence. But don't worry. If you, like me, are white, you probably have nothing to worry about. On the other hand, if you're Indigenous or Torres Strait Islander, that could be a problem for you. The research tells us that Indigenous people use swear words in a very specific part, in a very specific way in their language. It's important to the way they use language. And yet Indigenous people are well overrepresented in offensive language charges. So when an Indigenous man tells a white police officer to fuck off you dog-ass cunt, it might mean something different to him than to the white police officer. Was he using the words dog and cunt just as colourful language? Or was there something about the police officer that just reminded him of a dog's cunt? (laughs) It's left up to a judge, probably a white male private school grad, to decide whether or not that's offensive to a so-called reasonable man, your average Australian. But who the hell is your average Australian? What's his heritage? Why the fuck is he a man? That's what's called a legal fiction. In a court case, there's only so much fact, the who's, what's, where's, why's and how's that the judge can rely on. The rest is left for him to interpret, not based on his interpretation of the law, but on his interpretation of society. And I use his intentionally there. I see Legal Fiction's The Podcast as a six part narrative investigative series Each episode episode will start with a different legal case, featuring a legal fiction, where some assumption has been made about the world and how we live in it. But then I'll tear these cases apart. What if the same case had gone before a female judge, an indigenous judge, a judge from the LGBTQIA plus community? Is there such a thing as legal objectivity? Should there be? Everyone has a story in their head about what's right, what's wrong, what's criminal, what shouldn't be but not everyone gets to use their story to define other people's lives. Those stories are legal fictions, and those are the stories that I want to tell. Thank you. Thanks, Nina. You're welcome. So now it's over to you guys. Do you have, like, starting feedback or questions for Nina? Amazing to be the first one to pitch. You're very brave, and it was an excellent pitch. (laughs) Thanks. Um, I think my first question is, why a limited series? Um, and how do you find those six, the most six compelling stories to make it a limited series? 
So I've been doing a lot of research about this. Like there are so many rabbit holes I've gone down in terms of the legal fictions. And in terms of the ones I like, there are kind of, that's the amount I've started to look at that I think are really interesting and are sustaining. And then I think podcasting can be an experiment. So if you put six out and people love them. True. I think the only thing I would um, warn is that you're going to invest a lot of time to tell these great six stories and to find this audience, and then you've found this audience, and then six stories are over, and then what? It takes so much time to cultivate audience and develop stories. I think for something like this, you think about the life of series. How can I tell these six stories with legs that it can have a future, and you can think of six more stories? Um, That's one thing I would say, because as you start podcasting, you realize how long it takes to really find that target audience, and once you've cultivated them, you don't want to just kind of let them go. Mm. Thank you. How would you get your audience to trust you as a storyteller? If you're the narrator, why is it your voice that they should be listening to? Um, I think that what I have to offer is interest and curiosity, which I would hope is what the audience would have. And so I think that this series is almost important to come from a not law person because something like a legal fiction for people in the law is something that is thought about a lot and is written about and kind of just accepted as something that is. But I think you need some a mind from outside the law to go, but why? It's kind of crazy. And I think I can bring that. And would you build that into every host plays a character's role? Even if that character is a section of you, how would you bring that to life to carry the audience along with you? If we look at something like what Sarah did with Serial, that was a very big part of her character that needs to be built in so that we can trust you straight away to take the journey, to go along the journey with you. What you did, which was really beautiful, is saying this crime is about to happen. So I'm already with you going along the journey but I don't quite know who you are yet. So that would just be a consideration for me to go, okay, how do we know that the audience will resonate with you and trust that you're taking them along the right path on something that can be quite content? Well, that is very contentious. Mm -hmm. Why is it your voice is the voice that people need to listen to? I think you address that with honesty. I think something that's special about podcasts is you allow people into your mind. And if you say to people, this is who I am, I am curious about this. And if you're curious too, you can come along with me. And that's all. I think it's all you can really do. What a great pitch. Congratulations. Um, I'm curious to know where will it go after those first uh, minute or so, that first 90 seconds? Um, So this particular episode, I actually, the interest in all this came to me through Pat O'Shane and Pat O'Shane's story, who was one of, I think, the first Indigenous magistrate in Australia. And her story to me is fascinating because she was kind of torn apart by the media and by society for not being what people thought to be a judge. But really what she was bringing was just a completely different perspective. And so I go down that path, look at the people who in offensive language charges are brought into these cases, and then the different ways different judges would address those cases. Um, But I see that as just one story. So I have ideas for other ones, other legal fictions, things like Historically, in domestic violence cases, men could often bring the defense of provocation, that if a woman was unfaithful, it was because she provoked, she provoked him into, into murdering her. Um, and so it's these assumptions we make as society about what's acceptable and what's not that carries through into, court, into legal cases. And so it, there's a lot of characters there, but I think the judges and the magistrates themselves play a really interesting role. And is it only your voice? 
plus the no 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 so that, those voices actors. are there so like I've how done an that, inter- how does that work yeah so Pat O'Shane's in that episode as is Danny Lim the famous sandwich board guy who has the offensive signs so he yeah so there are really interesting characters that come into this and I think the interviews with them make it like I see myself as a question asker and as having curiosity to pursue the line, but I think those people's voices are much more important than mine, especially considering the nature of the, the topic, which is about equality and often diversity. You, those voices are essential. But are you seeking their opinion about this one case that you're falling apart or you're getting them to tell their stories? Or it's how, their how stories. Does it work? It's a narrative. So I see each episode starting with a case and I like the idea of um, evoking that true crime feeling and then kind of destroying it. So it starts with a case and going, but why did this happen? And then you tell the story of the case and you bring in the characters you need to unfold that, to dive into it, and then to problematize it, to say, this is what this person had to say about this case, but actually if it was a different magistrate, this is what they said, and this is how it could have been different. So imagining other possibilities with those voices and those ideas. Have you managed to get magistrates to argue with other people's judgments? it depends which side you're looking at it. So Pat O'Shane was more than happy to chat with me, <laughs> obviously, because it's just part of her story and she's keen to un- unpack that. I also spoke to um, another magistrate who very kindly and gener- generously offered his perspective as a white male um, on how he would have interpreted the case and how he's experienced looking at cases that affect Indigenous people and how that's factored into his decision. And he kind of talked through that process with me, which I found fascinating. On the other side, when I get to cases where I want to speak to magistrates who've made more controversial decisions, that would be a hard sell. Have you identified all the six stories that you want to tell and the people that you want to talk to for each story? Um, I've got ideas for about six. I don't know how happy and confident I'd feel talking about every single one of those now, but I reckon there's three that are pretty solid. I think that's great. I'm going to wrap us up there. Thank you so much, Nina. Everyone can do it. It's actually really good because I knew like a little bit about the ideas from the phone conversations and now I'm just like learning about all of it. So this is really good. Great questions. Okay, our second participant, I'm going to welcome to the stage, Felipe Vilches. So Felipe has a background in IT and music production and he's recently released an EP with his brother. He's worked as a technical coordinator at Curry Radio and is heavily involved in skateboarding and skate culture. He's sharing his passion via an upcoming podcast project that he wants to release on his own network. Felipe wants to create new listening experiences by drawing on his own life experiences and passions. Felipe, would you like to introduce your audio? Well, I just want to say uh, it's very rare to have a captive audience to listen to your idea, so thank you. Um, what you're going to listen to is just a small piece of um, the Pool Dads podcast. So you'll hear why it's called the Pool Dads in the audio. Five, four, three, two. Hi, I'm Dylan. I'm Philippe. And you're listening to the Pool Dads podcast. There's not a problem that I can't fix. My name's Dylan. I'm living in Redfern and I've got uh, two kids. Um, a seven-year-old boy and a five-year-old girl. I've been a stay-at-home dad now for the last seven years, um, taking care of these guys. I do a um, mental health charity. I really like to talk about that. I think it's something really important that not a lot of men get to talk about. I'm Philippe. 
I've uh, been a uh, stepfather to three boys uh, for the last year and a half, five, seven and ten. Uh, my interest in uh, doing this podcast is I spent uh, about eight months, so not quite as long as Dylan being a stay-at-home dad, <laughs> but we ran into each other uh, around Redfern, Waterloo, and uh, at the pool, as you can hear in the background, hence the name, the, uh, the Pool Dads Podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's the Pool Dads Podcast about? This podcast is not necessarily a lecture or to teach anyone, yeah. uh, to tell anyone how to do it, but it's more to uh, share our experiences. Absolutely. And, um, and having come into this from two different perspectives, uh, we can both learn from each other, yeah. learn from our guests, um, and uh, get to know each other as well throughout this uh, this podcast journey. Absolutely. You know, there's no instruction manual about how to do any of this. As we were saying before, like the kids are so different, and it wouldn't work even even if you didn't have a have manual. You're listening to the Cool Dads podcast. So, yes, as you can hear, um, I spent um, eight months last year. So I met my partner about a year and a half, two years ago, and became uh, a father to three boys. So um, I immersed myself in that. We made a decision to. Um, for me to be a stay-at-home dad, um, and hence the, there was a lot of time to think, and this idea kind of brewed by meeting other um, other dads in the area, other parents, um, even just observing um, because my boy, the youngest boy at the time was uh, four, so he hadn't gone to school yet, um, and just taking him to the park, um, meeting other parents, really uh, having come into parenting late, uh, the whole experience of parenting was you can imagine going from no children to three children and three boys um, and all of them with their own particular needs um, was really, uh, I, I guess, an eye-opening thing. And I have an inquisitive mind as it is. I've been uh, always involved in audio and recording um, and music as well. So a lot of what I do in terms of writing and things like that comes from observation. So observing how uh, this whole parent thing and coming at it from um, like a different, you know, I'm a stepfather. I'm not a biological dad. There's, there's that, that um, I guess, that space that I will always not be able to bridge, whereas Dylan, my co-host, he is a biological father and he's actually been a, a stay-at-home dad for seven years um, as opposed to me only a few months. So there, those differences, that's what got us talking at the pool. Um, and uh, those differences, I think, when you combine them uh, and bring them together uh, in a podcast environment, as you can hear, um, we recorded that at the pool. Um, a lot of what we'll record will be on location. Um, so, you know, if we're taking the kids somewhere, um, maybe meet at the pub for lunch, have a conversation, bring experts in. So we both have an interest in mental health. Uh, my oldest boy is uh, on the spectrum, so he's got a bit of autism um, and getting to know him, I've also had to get to know uh, the experts that I take him to for therapy. So the occupational therapist, the speech therapist, uh, the pathologist, and that journey in and of itself is something that I think is worth sharing as well. Uh, there's a lot of other parents, not just uh, fathers, but mothers and, and people who are going through uh, those experiences. So the podcast in and of itself will bring two people um, who are going through that same experience, stay-at-home dads, biological uh, stepfather, and bringing both of those uh, elements together, I think will make a great ongoing podcast where we can get a lot of content. And just one thing to, I, I guess I had to close. I know, I was waiting for the bell. Yeah, I was going to talk to the bell, of course. Um, 
The same inquisitive nature of our growing children should not be lost on us parents. Um, we must always be open to learning and correcting our, our stances as uh, we, we are the example that our children will follow. Thank, thanks so much, Felipe. I wonder, Claudia, do you want to start us off? I think you've been very brave in choosing uh, an environment that's obviously very atmospheric, the pool, to record your conversation, but it's also very reverberant. And um, I struggled to understand all the words to, that were being spoken mm -hmm. to do with the, um, with the technical quality of the yep. recording and all of that. So I'll just kind of give you that feedback that maybe the pool and conversations at the pool become uh, more of a sort of shorter motif within the within the the That's, podcast, and that yeah. you actually have those conversations in a quieter uh, environment. Yeah. Um, so again, where do you go from? You've sort of showed us the beginning. Where do you go from there? Well, the the idea was to make that clip at the pool to explain the name and explain some of the content. Um, Going forward, we do want to uh, do it in a more fixed, regular location that's quiet, that we can have guests. So um, I've spoken to the local pub and the owner there has made the uh, area available um, so we can use those different spaces um, and there's other locations that we're looking at. But we want to get together um, on a fortnightly basis, have these conversations and get experts in that we're discussing. So the first thing, like I mentioned, is mental health. So um, that's where we're going to kind of start. Um, I've already spoken to the therapist and things like that that I take my boys. So try and make it at least start from uh, a place where I know and let the podcast uh, kind of grow organically. So there'll be more guests that we can bring in. Uh, there'll be uh, different locations. Um, and, yeah, it, there is a little bit of atmospherics, but the conversations going forward will be in a more controlled environment. Uh, a quick question for me. Uh, what's the format like? I know you mentioned bringing experts and having those interviews, mm. and it sounds like you're going to have different segments, but have you thought about the segment where you have the interviews? Is there a regular feature? Is there a fun factor? Is, it there, is there a crazy thing that happens to dads? Is there a new dad fun bit? I think for something like this, it might be great to have a very interesting segment layout where someone yeah. can expect an interview, expect banter. I do love... While it's hard to have the outside voices and to record at the pool, I think think of creative ways where you can have that man in the street vibe yeah. is nice, but not for the entire thing. It would definitely definitely become distracting. So yeah. I'd love to hear more about the format. How do you plan to kind of share the story weekly? So we've discussed the format um, with my co-hosts, and ideally we we do want to structure it a lot more in terms of. Um, so in in my research for this podcast, I've been listening and watching a lot. Um, especially of the uh, uh, like the American sports type of what they do. So they take one recording, there's a visual element, um, there's an audio, um, they take the, the visual for YouTube, the audio for whatever else and the clips for social media. So, But the structure within all of these sports shows is very familiar um, and that's the kind of uh, a goal that I want to create. I want to create a familiar um, structure where the listener knows what they're expecting. So there will be some funny, there's some banter. We'll start with some conversation. We'll get into the more serious things and 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 actually have it um, formatted and structured. So as people start listening and engaging with the podcast, they know what to expect. And that's what attracts me to a podcast and to listen to something is that oh, I, I know what's coming next or or I know this segment, you know, the up-down segment or something like that. Um, sorry, one more. Um, 
is this always on or is it seasonal? Are you doing like 10 episodes and taking a break? How do you plan to um, commit weekly to doing this long term? Uh, so we want to do a fortnightly. Uh, for us, uh, that helps us work around, obviously, our schedule, um, but also it gives us time to prepare um, and have some specific content for each show. Um, so it's important, obviously, to so people know what they're going to listen to, have the title, um, have a little bit of a, a, of a blurb um, on what the uh, episode is um, and structure it that way and develop it over, you know, a, I would like to say it's a, it's at least a six-month project to give us time um, to grow into it. Um, there'll be uh, misadventures and mishaps, but that's fine. It's part of the process of how I see uh, growing the podcast more organically. Okay, great. And then my last question, sorry. Does every episode have a guest? Have you mapped your first 10 episodes with a guest and a, a, a topic? So that's uh, – so we would – we would like there to be guests every episode, but I think initially to start, we already have some things. For example, Dylan wants to talk about um, what it was like to be a father when he started, so the younger years. And that's a part that I won't necessarily be able to relate to, but we can have that discussion and that can be like his moment uh, to share that. Uh, so that's there will be guests, uh, hopefully semi-regularly, but the idea as well is because we don't know each other that well as well, you can hear us uh, become more friends and grow together in this journey. I'll stop hogging the mic. <laughs> um, I'm just going to echo something Claudia said. When you listen to 100 plus pitches a week, you do have about a, a minute and a half. And if I can't hear that mm. as clearly as I would like, and especially when that is what's selling me in, that's probably something that I'm not going to continue listening to. Mm because the care you take when you are setting out your stall, mm -hmm. you know, in the first place to a commissioner, um, it, it needs to be pretty much perfect and it needs to really represent you. Mm -hmm. You care about this podcast a lot. You put a lot of thought into it. Mm. But then sonically, if I can't hear it properly, mm -hmm. then that gives a different impression. If I hadn't heard you and it was a bit of a blind commission and I was just mm -hmm. listening and I had read what you had written, I would go, okay, listening back, had they thought this is something I can actually hear mm. and I understand what the podcast is. So that's just a bit of the reality of our jobs as we cycle through a lot of this stuff. And mm -hmm. so there can be perceptions on kind of the quality of things that may not represent you. So I'd mm -hmm. just be a bit careful with the sound and make sure that you can get the message without having to rewind it or listen twice. Um, I'm really interested in the on-location recordings mm -hmm. and what element you think on-location will bring to your audience. Why is it important for them to know that you're out and about? A lot of the... So I worked in radio and a lot of the things I did was in studio um, and that space creates a certain energy sometimes. Um, I, I don't know how to express it, but um, I want that feeling for the listener to feel like they're with us. They're, we've gone somewhere to do something and this is what we're doing. Rather than being in that stagnant space uh, in the studio where I, I guess um, I feed off the energy that's around. Um, and at least if we're not in that studio where I get really like formal and, you know, do I turn into the radio guy. I don't necessarily want to be the radio guy uh, on this podcast. I actually want to have a conversation and, yeah, discuss with my co-host what it is that 
being a father, you know, and unpacking those experiences. So when fathers or parents listen to your podcast, what is it that they get from it? What do they take away from it? Is it a feeling? Is it practical advice? A lot of people escape to podcasts. They don't want to be sitting in the conversation they're having or mm. on their commute. They want to be mm. doing something and getting something. What would mm. parents or fathers get from this? I think it's a sense of solidarity. So I did a bit of research um, as to what was out there. Um, and a lot of the, uh, I guess, podcasts made by men about parenting, uh, sit on both extremes. So you have those really uh, be encouraged and be a dad, you know, and you have the other ones that are um, a lot of crass and, and trash talk and it's just two blokes, you know, just doing whatever. I think there needs to be something where someone, I, I guess like myself, uh, who is still new to it, uh, but can bring something um, and, and is not scared to ask the questions. I don't know, I've never had biological children. So a lot of the things I'm learning on the job, I want to, um, you know, let other people know that I've also found out these things, you know, like waiting at Centrelink to hand in a form for an hour is just part of it uh, sometimes. Or, um, you know, waiting for your kids to finish an activity or getting that phone call and you've got to drop everything and rush to the school. Um, not a lot of men, we're not encouraged as men sometimes to talk about that. We are encouraged to say, oh, you're getting in touch with your feminine side, this and that. But I want the listeners to be able to get inside of the mind of, you know, a, a, a stay-at-home dad who's just learning. Um, and I want to, uh, I guess, document this experience as best as I can. And I think that when you know exactly what it is you want the people to take out of it, then mm. you can make better content choices yeah that will guide you and all your co-hosts towards what topic is suitable and why. Mm. You, when you get a better understanding of your audience, yeah. then you can narrow down what it is you want to speak about and mm -hmm. then you'll have really tight content. Yeah. I think on that note, I'm gonna jump in and I'm gonna wrap us up there. Thank you, Philippe. All right. Thank you. The next person I'm going to invite on stage is Ahmed Youssef. Would you like to come up? <laughs> so Ahmed is a writer and journalist. He co-edited Growing Up African in Australia, the first non-fiction anthology of African diaspora stories in Australia. He founded the Race and Politics podcast Race Card and his work has featured in Acclaim magazine, The Guardian, TRT World and Gelada Africa. Would you like to introduce your audio? Uh, yeah. Um, um, it's called No Sanctuary and there are some traumatic news stories that might play. So just, I guess, like, like trigger warning. If Bendigo falls, the rest of Australia will fall. Fall to what? Islam. On the shooting attacks on two mosques in the New Zealand city of Christchurch, 49 people are known to have died. Dozens more are being treated in hospital for gunshot wounds. Witnesses say at least one gunman opened fire on worshippers at the mosques as they were gathering for Friday prayers. I don't know, just recently I'm kind of looking at my kids differently and thinking like... Where people are just thinking, um, like, time to go. When is the time? Yeah, like, should we start packing? Like, where would we go? Where else could we even make a life for ourselves? Honestly, a year ago, if you told me I'd be having that conversation in my house, yeah, that's right. I would not have believed you. No Sanctuary is a podcast 
that explores how do Muslims create community in mosques and other spaces when they become targets for far-right violence? How do you start to build something that is being knocked down even before the first brick is laid? And how do you preserve what's already intact? Uh, thank you. So I guess at the heart of what I want to explore is looking at the mosque as a character unto itself. So think about the time you enter a mosque. You take your, you take your shoes off and you're, um, you, walk, you walk onto it with your socks. You're grounded in the space. So how is meaning created in this space then? Um, I want to explore the bodies that visit it, um, the steps that go into creating it, um, from the council applications that you put in uh, to the people who design the space. Do we know the, about the history of architecture of mosques in Australia? Are things changing? Are seri um, and I guess the thing that I'm talking about when things are changing are security demands shifting the plans that are being made. Are architects being asked to think about more emergency exits? Are there more security guards being hired? More CCTV cameras put in place? I know after Christchurch attack, my sisters who go to Islamic school, uh, the school hired uh, security to protect this, uh, the students from the threats that were being received. But I guess more importantly, I want to explore the people that make up the space. I've grown up in mosques. I've gone to road trips, traveling from suburban Melbourne mosques, sleeping at them, going all the way to mosques in Gippsland. Um, and, uh, and I think one very interesting thing when I talk about the bodies that make up the space, churches have bells. Mosques use the human voice for the call to prayer. We used to have, um, um, we used to have call to prayer, um, so Adhan competition at school, kind of like the Adhan idol, if you will. <laughs> Uh, I clearly did not win any of those. Um, and so, yeah, the, so the thing is the bodies participate in almost every step of the process. You wash yourself before you go in. And I guess, um, but also the thing in this space is that it becomes a communal element. There's a community feel. I remember um, post 9-11, I, I went to Islamic school, so after... Uh, um, some news reports about um, the US going to Iraq, we had this really big assembly in the mosque. And the conversations that were had in that, in that space were one of fear, and it was really palpable in the space. You could just feel, I guess, all the students and teachers and coordinators and et cetera. And I guess what I want to say is that we don't really hear from them, apart from sort of like panel shows that are constructed for really little, um, um, I guess, polarizing audiences to get really clickbaity content. And, and yeah, so, but also more interestingly, like around the world, architecture is a big thing when we talk about mosques. And yeah, what is the architecture of Australian mosques and what is the history of that? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much, Ahmed. Um, Jane, do you want to keep yeah. up? Um, firstly, I loved the audio grab that you had the minute and a half. It was really visceral. 
that kind of undercurrent base. I could feel it in my chest and all the grabs. You're there. You're in it already. My ears are pricked already and I'm going, where is this going? What am I going to find out? Find out? So that was a brilliant, brilliant job. I loved the idea of the mask to tell the story. But when you did your verbal pitch there, it sounded a bit more about exploring kind of the physicality of people within the mask and the emotions within the mask. So more about the people. I know it's about people and representing community. When you pitch it, you know, within, with kind of what we would call kind of Trojan horse content of the mask, I think that that's a very, very smart idea. I think sonically that that's very powerful and to look at the construction of something that shouldn't cause so much so many issues and all of that sort of stuff, but then go deep into its people and how that represents community and how there is a state of fear around it. I think that's really, really well done. And I'd be really interested to know how, other than the architecture, sonically, you would make the mask come to life. I guess like, um, so before the mask, uh, before prayer, hearing the call to prayer that then for example, um, uh, I guess sort of the quietness as well. Because like I remember when I was in school going to pray um, Duhur, we'd go into the mosque and it'd be silence, all the teachers saying, shh, shh, on Friday prayers when the khutbah is being played, when the read out everything, there's a palpable silence and the washing that goes beyond before sort of hearing the taps and sort of that. And then the post-prayer chat, that kind of situation. And then I, and I guess also ex, sort of examining the space as well, the pitfalls of that space, the community space. There's also an element of exclusivity in that space already. You look at mosques, most women's sections are very small. Um, most queer Muslims don't feel comfortable going to mosques. So examining sort of there's a space that's being, um, I guess, uh, ostracized from one space and there's people within that space that feel ostracized as well. So examining that tension of community and what is community? I think um, that it's a beautiful idea. I think to do it effectively in audio specifically, you really need to think of the sonic treatment of it. And what comes to mind when you speak to me is if it's so quiet there, then it is the sound of bodies. It's miking bodies. Yeah. It's miking how bodies move. And I think that that could be really, really powerful to give an audience access in. Um, the other question I'm going to ask is, podcasts, you have many different success metrics. There's revenue, there's high numbers, there's engaged audience. What would, what would success look like for you when this podcast was made? So, like, we've had a national conversation probably since post 9-11 about mosques and Muslims and people that go into mosques. Are there being, are there terror hotbeds? Are they this, are they that? Like we don't actually hear from the people who go to these mosques. We don't go to, we don't hear from the people that embody the space. And so the thing that would be success for me is that shifting of the dialogue, the, na the narrative, the, the language of free frame, uh, ideas of mosques. That would be, and also I really appreciate that you got what I was trying to do with bodies because that was really, well, uh, yeah, thank you. Well communicated. <laughs> Yeah, um, I guess I would love to kind of understand the first few episodes. Um, 
and how you're thinking about bodies in these space and these stories. How do you expand to tell these stories? Um, you've created, you get this very clear audio sense of you want to play with audio, but how do you then tell those stories? And what are the stories that you're telling? You've, you've mentioned a few of them, but how do you expand? What do you see the season looking like? Um, it's seeming very a limited series, very specific to um, Australia, possibly initially. But how do you expand? How, what are the stories? How, how are you bringing the voices in? I think it could be, all right, so initially I envisioned it being a limited series, but it could be a situation where you examine a sort of series in particular spaces. Because I think conversations like this are happening in the US, the UK, most most of the West. Um, and in terms of um, the bodies um, and the stories that could be on, I, I think like thinking about the, the calls that come into mosques, mm -hmm. like the, the threats, talking to someone who has to listen to that, go through the emails that they're getting, that sort of bodily feeling of, of sort of like hate and things that come through that. Um, how, how often do they hear that? Um, talking to people who, like, I, I, like I live in Bromeadows in, in Melbourne, and so that mosque, for example, you cannot go into the mosque without socks. So why do they have that rule? So actually talking to some, some people that go there, what is it about the fact that you, you have this space and you want to preserve its cleanliness? What does that mean for you um, and, that, and that, that relationship to the body? And what's the episodic structure? How is it 30 minutes, is it 40? How are you telling these stories? Are you kind of narrating us to the story? Are we hearing other voices? What's the, what does it sound like for on an episodic level? So I, I, I feel like um, 40 minutes would be an episode. And I'd narrate, it would be like narrated documentary series. And the voices, I guess I would want to focus on a particular thing for each episode. So for example, um, security, right? What is the security concerns, the security of the bodies that enter the space? Talking to people that have to plan that out now. People who are hiring security firms and et cetera, talking to those people, what do they experience? And, and talking to the people that have to embody that space and seeing that security presence. So that would be your own episode. Um, another episode would probably be sort of like the design, the, the the demands of this current space of the design that has to be, um, the history of architecture and mosques and what's the importance of that. Another episode could be about, say for example, Bendigo um, had a lot of hate for the mosque that was being built. So talking to the people that are in the process of applications, what is it goes down to making that application? So talking to the people in the council offices, what, is, what are they experiencing from this sort of um, association with the mosque? Before we wrap up, I'd just like, Claudia, would you like to, uh, do you have any questions or feedback? Sorry, uh, I just, I think it's a terrific idea and um, I think it's going to give a, a general audience access to what's really been a secret world to us. We got a glimpse into it when we, there was the coverage around the Christchurch event, but um, uh, but yeah, I, I really want to hear this program. And I guess I would suggest that um, I think all of the ideas that you're talking about are interesting but they could turn out to be a little dry. I think that really it needs to be driven by characters. And if you can find characters within these mosques, they might be worshippers, they might be the imam um, who can really guide us through. I mean, you will be a guide, but also we need to have these interesting characters. Like definitely. Like I, like I also will be a character, like telling stories about my experiences in mosques, for example. Uh, when I was 10, I, um, after, after Iftar, went to play Tarawih. 
and I'd eaten a lot of food. And so um, it, was, it was one of the first Ramadans I was fasting. So we go to the mosque and um, we're in Nairobi and uh, we get to the mosque and we start praying Isha. And I'm praying and my stomach starts to feel really bad. It's really, really not feeling good. And I'm like, oh my God, what's going to happen? I'm in the mosque, I have to be clean. And so, uh, and so as I go down to make sujood uh, like that, uh, I vomit. And, and at that space, I'm like, oh my God, what have you done? And uh, then I'm like, you know what? The Prophet and his companions would continue, you know, because they want to, you know, because they, 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 they're so focused on the prayer, they wouldn't even see the, they wouldn't even see the vomit. They would just continue. And so I did. And then I finished the prayer and um, my aunt's friend was like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Your prayer's already broken. You, and, then, and then he said, let's wash up and let's get out of there. So that would play on the bodies and the cleanliness in the space, for example. And like, um, yeah. Well, there you are. You sold the idea. Yeah, with that's using right. You. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Ahmed. <laughs> okay, we have one more, I'm going to say contestant just for the lols. Um, one more participant. I'd like to invite up Annalisa Redlick. Um, Annalise, can we give her a little warm hand? So Annalisa is a Melbourne broadcaster, producer, DJ and musician. Her Saturday music show, Neon Sunset on Triple R, has built a dedicated following over the past five years. With a background in design communications, she has a particular interest in deep diving conversations with strangers and oversees karaoke experiences. There you go. I don't oversee karaoke experiences. I enjoy overseas karaoke experiences. <laughs> what about that? Um, I just want to say what an honour it is to be here with all of you and it's so exciting that so many people are interested in this session. I hope that you're getting as much out of it as we are because it's kind of a big leap verbalising and putting your stuff to air. Um, so this is a minute and a half of a little bit of a focus in on one of my episodes of the series, All Ears, which is uh, what we're going to talk about today. So... So can we play audio? There is a very strong link between microsurgery and pub rock. Microsurgery is the pub rock of medicine. Meet Ramin Shayan. He's a reconstructive plastic surgeon in Melbourne, Australia. I'll have my microsurgery music, I'll have my starting music, I'll have my closing music. And, um, and I think part of the relationship I have with my anaesthetists is that they know all this. And it's just a, it's a beautiful symbiosis. My name is Annalisa Redlick. I'm a DJ, radio broadcaster and musician, also in Melbourne. And everywhere I look, I see ways that people from all backgrounds, ages and cultures are using music to forge relationships and make statements about things that are important to them. And so I made All Ears, a podcast that heads into operating theatres, football stadiums and community centres to see what our use of music says about us, our connections, rituals and sense of belonging. When we release the clamps, my anaesthetist will put the opening part of Back in Black on. Do you remember that, that opening? It goes... And that, that to me is like, right, we're done, we're on. So join me for a show that takes a look at a different side of music. A show that's about and for all ears. Yes. 
so it's important to remember that if you have an operation coming up, that's likely to happen while you're under, under anaesthetic. All ears is a look at music in everyday life, the ways that we make and manifest it, where we use it and why. Music marks our rituals, our relaxation, motivation and distraction. It charts the passage of time and taste or lack thereof. It simultaneously fills our arenas and holds us in comfortable solitude. Season one of All Ears comprises of around 10 episodes, uh, averaging about 20 minutes each. As the only punk musician in my classical family, as a female DJ, as an independent broadcaster, I've often felt like an outsider in the music world. I think that music is elevated and fetishized in our culture in a way that takes it out of the hands of everyday people. And even though those stories of music in the everyday are all around us, we don't pay much attention to them. When you strip back style, genre and stars from music, what's left? What does it say about our commonalities? And what are its universalities? I'll interrogate in this series the way that music makes us all feel down to our bones, the power it has to connect us with complete strangers and transcend time and reason. The stories I'm going to explore are uh, the physical and mental health benefits of group singing with a choir of senior citizen Chinese Australian singers, uh, a different take on the mental health benefits of singing in a group sport known as the AFL, one of the toughest on the planet. Um, I go into an operating theatre, as you heard, with a surgeon and an anaesthetist to look at the ways that they use music to regulate their stress levels in really complex situations. Um, I discuss keeping culture and song, culture and language alive through song with Abri Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artist Jesse Lloyd. Uh, we go into confessions of an online playlist where we look at building ritual through music in funerals, tattoos and bar mitzvahs, you name it. All is shares stories of outsiders to the mainstream music world, people representing a range of ages, cultural backgrounds, economic backgrounds, um, because I want this series to encourage listeners to interrogate the ways that music touches them in their own lives and see these as important stories. Thank you. I loved your pitch, um, being Spotify, anything with music, I'm like, yes, <laughs> um, And um, I loved the, the clip that you played with the doctors. And um, Are you also going to include music in, in the podcast? Because that becomes really tricky with yeah. parents. But. Yeah, this has been very complex, um, navigating the law and people's perception of the law because there's huge disparities, particularly in this country, about what is actually allowed and what's not. So I... My hope is like I've been trying to get a little bit of funding this time around to because certain songs are so specific, um, I, want, I would love to get a local musician or someone in my field to pay them to do covers of that and pay for a licence just for background music. Otherwise, it's sort of incidental music. Um, but that is definitely a, a tricky thing to navigate. Um, I kind of figure that if this gets a chance to go forward, it'd be lovely to have an artist on for a season who recreates it, mm -hmm. the music, and is we're upfront about that at the very start. It's yeah. like, this season, music is done in the style of this person, so. I mean, that's excellent, and, and I love it. I love how you thought about the season, all the episodes. You have a clear vision for each episode. I, I love that, and you've all clearly thought about the implications of using real music, but I think it's necessary, especially when... Um, you talk about meditation and you want to hear what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So um, 
I'm looking forward to hearing it. It, it sounds amazing. Um, that's the exact difficulty with music and podcasting right now and it's why a medium that is an audio medium is kind of hemmed in when it comes to music and what we can and can't put in podcasts and that's creating a lot of difficulty for content Mm. but with regard to your pitch I could hear it I could even when you were speaking I could hear what the segments would sound like and that is what really stands out as an audio first approach to me when someone is giving me two lines and I can hear all these sonic treatments on it. I can hear all the segments and it's native to audio and what audio can do. My favorite podcasts are the ones that give me a different lens on everyday life. And that's what this would do. I think there's no end to the content. Um, I think the difficulty will be the music, but because it's audio, there are creative workarounds. I don't know if you've heard Disgraceland. Yes. And what yeah, they do to totally. work around the music. Which is like so, so jar. It's like, this sounds terrible and it's in place of the great thing. That yeah, you would hear exactly. If I had the license. Yeah, I love that highlighting. Yeah. yeah. So I, I just think it sounds like a fantastic idea. Thank you. Yeah, I think it sounds like a terrific idea too. And it's almost like you're a kind of almost like an anthropologist uh, looking at music and the way that it's used by all sorts of people. Um, uh, I guess I want to know what a whole episode will sound like. Sure. So, for example, Ramin Shayan, who you heard in that audio, um, I start out with how I came across this topic, whether it was someone I ran into or what something that happened. And in that episode, um, I got hit by a car when I was riding my bike. I had to get an MRI scan. While I was in the tiny tunnel having panic attacks, they offered me some music to play. Uh, and I chose Otis Redding and I was like, oh, I'm so chilled out now. I wonder where, because I'm a nerd and I think about this, I was like, where else in, in society, like in the, me- in the medical sphere does this happen? At a party I met a surgeon. I was like, tell me, where, where else in surgery and operations does that happen? I described this story more succinctly. And then we go to him and then we go into his space. Then we go into an operation and we hear the multiple voices. It's, it's important to me to... Initially, I'd planned to not have my voice in it and it would be these people's stories because I wanted to um, give them all the airtime. But actually, the most important thing is that it's, it's my um, connection with it that brings you in. So the person has a relate, the listeners have a relationship with me. And then I take them to the person in the space that this thing is happening and we dive more into it. Um, so it's interview based, it's the soundscapes of their space. Um, and coming back to my my narrative and my dot point drawing with stuff and then conclusion. So that's, yeah. Yeah, I think that sounds like a good way to do it, although I guess you'd have to be careful that um, you did have a connection to every story and that it yeah. didn't end up sounding like a kind of gratuitous long bow that you're drawing sure. in order to get, like I'm trying to imagine how you're going to get into the Chinese choir story. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I... Again, I'm a nerd and I was, I was walking through the cobblestone streets of um, Fitzroy one Sunday afternoon and heard this singing coming from the Atherton Gardens flats and a little building down there and nosed my way in and um, started talking to these people who were just overwhelmed, like really pumped to have someone outside of their group. And it, it back to overseas karaoke with strangers, like <laughs> um, I generally find when I... I'm a fish out of water and I talk to people um, in a musical context, all of a sudden you have something in common and they're really happy to share 
with you. So that's that's that specific example. But yeah, you're right uh, in terms of like multi-seasonal stuff. There's not always going to be something that I have a deep connection to. And the surgery one, that's a long introduction, but some might just be like, I was in a cab and they were playing trap music and it was really inappropriate. How do we soundtrack our public spaces? What, what's the thinking here? And it might yeah. just be as long as that. Yeah, so, great subject. Yeah. Sorry, can I jump in and ask one more? Yes. Um, you were speaking about the biological effects or the physical effects of sound on your body. Would you see a space for an expert in that who'd really go down to the nuts and bolts of what sound and audio does? Yeah, it's interesting. I, when I was planning out the series, I'd sort of I've thought about having an expert come in to drill down on those things. But and there might be room. I haven't actually sort of finished the edit on that on the the Good Voice, the Chinese Good Voice group. But it would be good to have some sort of hard fact and voice in there. Um, I'm not I'm not totally sure on that. It's there's always there's so much more to take. Avery Trofferman was just talking before about how deeply you drill down into a topic or how far you pull back. And I think there's scope for both on this. I, I don't want to, yeah, I don't really want to drill down into the, psych, the hard psychology with experts. If it's about feeling and what it makes you feel, I would stay away from anything that's stats mm. or too dry. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy hearing, um, generally I'm really happy hearing uh, the people that I'm talking with explain their feeling and my response to it and hopefully then the audience's response to it when they're listening. So, yeah. I think it sounds very exciting. And um, I just think we have to end up there. But can we give Annalisa a great... <laughs> so this was super fun and I think we should do this again because that was really really enjoyable I'd like to say thank you to Annalisa Nina Felipe and Ahmed for being so brave Yay! and thanks also to this incredible um, group of panelists Natalie Jen and Claudia That was AudioCraft's Kate Montague, ABCRN's Claudia Taranto, Spotify's Natalie Tullock, and Podcast One Australia's Jennifer Goggin. A huge thanks to Annalisa Redlick, Nina Kopel, Arma Jusef, and Philippe Vilches for sharing their ideas on stage, and to Tegan Nichols for recording this session. The AudioCraft podcast is produced and mixed by Ryan Pemberton, with production help on this episode by Brianna Kennedy. Theme music is produced by James Milsom. If you haven't already, subscribe to the AudioCraft podcast. New episodes from 2019's festival will appear in your feed every Wednesday and there are heaps of episodes from previous festivals to get stuck into. If you have a pitch you're honing, I'd recommend listening to Eric Newsom's keynote from 2017's festival. It's all about refining your idea. You can have a podcast that's meant for 100 people and 100 people listen to it and that's successful. But every podcast I feel has hit that level of success has had three characteristics, story, character, and voice. And I'm going to walk you through each of these and explain why it is absolutely this simple to having a great idea. Please keep in touch. Sign up for our newsletter at audiocraft.com.au and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're at AudioCraftFest. Fest.